Part 1, Chapter 6 of 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, An Underwater Tour of the World by Jules Verne. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Michelle Fry, Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Chapter 6, At Full Steam. At this shout, the entire crew rushed toward the harpooner, commander, officers, mates, sailors, cabin boys, down to engineers, leaving their machinery and stokers neglecting their furnaces. The order was given to stop, and the frigate merely coasted. By then the darkness was profound, and as good as the Canadian's eyes were, I still wondered how he could see and what he had seen. My heart was pounding fit to burst. But Ned Land was not mistaken, and we all spotted the object his hand was indicating. Two cable lengths off the Abraham Lincoln's starboard quarter, the sea seemed to be lit up from underneath. This was no mere phosphorescent phenomena. That much was unmistakable. Submerged some fathoms below the surface of the water, the monster gave off that very intense but inexplicable glow that several captains had mentioned in their reports. This magnificent radiance had to come from some force with a great illuminating capacity. The edge of its light swept over the sea in an immense, highly elongated oval, condensing at the center into a blazing core whose unbearable glow diminished by degrees outward. "'It's only a cluster of phosphorescent particles!' exclaimed one of the officers. "'No, sir,' I answered with conviction. Not even angel wing clams or salops have ever given off such a powerful light. That glow is basically electric in nature. Besides, look, look, it's shifting. It's moving back and forth. It's darting at us. A universal shout went up from the frigate. Quiet, Commander Farragut said. Helm hard to leeward. Reverse engines. Sailors rushed to the helm, engineers to their machinery. Under reverse steam immediately, the Abraham Lincoln beat to port, sweeping in a semicircle. Right your helm! Engines forward! Commander Farragut called. These orders were executed, and the frigate swiftly retreated from this core of light. My mistake. It wanted to retreat, but the unearthly animal came at us with a speed double our own. We gasped. More stunned than afraid, we stood mute and motionless. The animal caught up with us, played with us. It made a full circle around the frigate, then doing fourteen knots, and wrapped us in sheets of electricity that were like luminous dust. Then it retreated two or three miles, leaving a phosphorescent trail comparable to those swirls of steam that shoot behind the locomotive of an express train. Suddenly, all the way from the dark horizon where it had gone to gather momentum, the monster abruptly dashed toward the Abraham Lincoln with frightening speed, stopped sharply twenty feet from our side plates, and died out. Not by diving under the water, since its glow did not recede gradually, but all at once, as if the source of this brilliant emanation had suddenly dried up. Then it reappeared on the other side of the ship, either by circling around us, or by gliding under our hull. At any instant, a collision could have occurred that would have been fatal to us. Meanwhile, I was astonished at the frigate's maneuvers. It was fleeing, not fighting. Built to pursue, it was being pursued, and I commented on this to Commander Farragut. His face, ordinarily so emotionless, was stamped with indescribable astonishment. Professor Aronnax, he answered me, I don't know what kind of fearsome creature I'm up against, and I don't want my frigate running foolish risks in all this darkness. Besides, 
how should we attack this unknown creature how should we defend ourselves against it let's wait for daylight and then we'll play a different role you've no further doubts commander as to the nature of this animal no sir it's apparently a gigantic narwhal and an electric one to boot maybe i added it's no more approachable than an electric eel or an electric ray right the commander replied and if it has the power to electrocute it's surely the most dreadful animal ever conceived by our creator that's why i'll keep on my guard sir the whole crew stayed on their feet all night long no one even thought of sleeping unable to compete with the monster's speed the abraham lincoln slowed down and stayed at half steam for its part the narwhal mimicked the frigate simply rode with the waves and seemed determined not to forsake the field of battle however near midnight it disappeared or to use a more appropriate expression it went out like a huge glow-worm had it fled from us we were duty-bound to fear so rather than hope so but at twelve fifty-three in the morning a deafening hiss became audible resembling the sound made by a water-spout expelled with tremendous intensity by then commander farragut ned land and i were on the after-deck peering eagerly into the profound gloom ned land the commander asked you've often heard whales bellowing often sir but never a whale like this whose sighting earned me two thousand dollars correct the prize is rightfully yours but tell me isn't that the noise cetaceans make when they spout water from their blowholes the very noise sir but this one's way louder so there can be no mistake there's definitely a whale lurking in our waters with your permission sir the harpooner added tomorrow at daybreak we'll have words with it if it's in the mood to listen to you mr land i replied in a tone far from convinced let me get within four harpoon lengths of it the canadian shot back and it had better listen but to get near it the commander went on i'd have to put a whaleboat at your disposal certainly sir that would be gambling with the lives of my men and with my own the harpooner replied simply near two o'clock in the morning the core of light reappeared no less intense five miles to windward of the abraham lincoln despite the distance despite the noise of wind and sea we could distinctly hear the fearsome thrashings of the animal's tail and even its panting breath seemingly the moment this enormous narwhal came up to breathe at the surface of the ocean air was sucked into its lungs like steam into the huge cylinders of a two thousand horsepower engine hm i said to myself a cetacean as powerful as a whole cavalry regiment now that's a whale of a whale we stayed on the alert until daylight getting ready for action whaling gear was set up along the railings our chief officer loaded the blunderbusses which can launch harpoons as far as a mile and long duck guns with exploding bullets that can mortally wound even the most powerful animals ned land was content to sharpen his harpoon a dreadful weapon in his hands at six o'clock day began to break and with the dawn's early light the narwhal's electric glow disappeared at seven o'clock the day was well along but a very dense morning mist shrank the horizon and our best spyglasses were unable to pierce it the outcome disappointment and anger i hoisted myself up to the cross trees of the mizzen sail some officers were already perched on the mastheads 
at eight o'clock the mist rolled ponderously over the waves and its huge curls were lifting little by little the horizon grew wider and clearer all at once suddenly just as on the previous evening ned land's voice was audible there's the thing in question astern to port the harpooner shouted every eye looked toward the point indicated there a mile and a half from the frigate a long blackish body emerged a meter above the waves quivering violently its tail was creating a considerable eddy never had caudal equipment thrashed the sea with such power an immense wake of glowing whiteness marked the animal's track sweeping in a long curve our frigate drew nearer to the cetacean i examined it with a completely open mind those reports from the shannon and the helvetia had slightly exaggerated its dimensions and i put its length at only two hundred and fifty feet its girth was more difficult to judge but all in all the animal seemed to be wonderfully proportioned in all three dimensions while i was observing this phenomenal creature two jets of steam and water sprang from its blowholes and rose to an altitude of forty meters which settled for me its mode of breathing from this i finally concluded that it belonged to the branch vertebrata class mammalia subclass monodelphia group pisciforma order cetacea family but here i couldn't make up my mind the order cetacea consists of three families baleen whales sperm whales dolphins and it's in this last group that narwhals are placed each of these families is divided into several genera each genus into species each species into varieties so i was still missing variety species genus and family but no doubt i would complete my classifying with the aid of heaven and commander farragut the crew were waiting impatiently for orders from their leader the latter after carefully observing the animal called for his engineer the engineer raced over sir the commander said are you up to pressure aye sir the engineer replied fine stoke your furnaces and clap on full steam three cheers greeted this order the hour of battle had sounded a few moments later the frigate's two funnels vomited torrents of black smoke and its deck quaked from the trembling of its boilers driven forward by its powerful propeller the abraham lincoln headed straight for the animal unconcerned the latter let us come within half a cable length then not bothering to dive it got up a little speed retreated and was content to keep its distance this chase dragged on for three-quarters of an hour without the frigate gaining two fathoms on the cetacean at this rate it was obvious that we would never catch up with it infuriated commander farragut kept twisting the thick tuft of hair that flourished below his chin ned land he called the canadian reported at once well mr land the commander asked do you still advise putting my longboats to sea no sir ned land replied because that beast won't be caught against its will then what should we do stoke up more steam sir if you can as for me with your permission i'll go perch on the bobstays under the bowsprit and if we can get within a harpoon length i'll harpoon the brute go to it ned commander farragut replied engineer he called keep the pressure mounting ned land made his way to his post the furnaces were urged into greater activity our propeller did forty-three revolutions per minute and steam shot from the valves 
heaving the log we verified that the abraham lincoln was going at the rate of eighteen point five miles per hour but that damned animal also did a speed of eighteen point five for the next hour our frigate kept up this pace without gaining a fathom this was humiliating for one of the fastest racers in the american navy the crew were working up into a blind rage sailor after sailor heaved insults at the monster which couldn't be bothered with answering back commander farragut was no longer content simply to twist his goatee he chewed on it the engineer was summoned once again you're up to maximum pressure the commander asked him aye sir the engineer replied and your valves are charged to to six and a half atmospheres charge them to ten atmospheres a typical american order if i ever heard one it would have sounded just fine during some mississippi paddle wheeler race to outstrip the competition conseil i said to my gallant servant now at my side you realize that we'll probably blow ourselves sky high as master wishes conseil replied all right i admit it i did wish to run this risk the valves were charged more coal was swallowed by the furnaces ventilators shot torrents of air over the braziers the abraham lincoln's speed increased its masts trembled down to their blocks and swirls of smoke could barely squeeze through the narrow funnels we heaved the log a second time well helmsman commander farragut asked nineteen point three miles per hour sir keep stoking the furnaces the engineer did so the pressure gauge marked ten atmospheres but no doubt the cetacean itself had warmed up because without the least trouble it also did nineteen point three what a chase no i can't describe the excitement that shook my very being ned land stayed at his post harpoon in hand several times the animal let us approach we're overhauling it the canadian would shout then just as he was about to strike the cetacean would steal off with a swiftness i could estimate at no less than thirty miles per hour and even at our maximum speed it took the liberty of thumbing its nose at the frigate by running a full circle around us a howl of fury burst from every throat by noon we were no farther along than at eight o'clock in the morning commander farragut then decided to use more direct methods bah he said so that animal is faster than the abraham lincoln all right we'll see if it can outrun our conical shells mate man the gun in the bow our forecastle cannon was immediately loaded and leveled the cannoneer fired a shot but his shell passed some feet above the cetacean which stayed a half mile off over to somebody with better aim the commander shouted and five hundred dollars to the man who can pierce that infernal beast calm of eye cool of feature an old gray-bearded gunner i can see him to this day approached the cannon put it in position and took aim for a good while there was a mighty explosion mingled with cheers from the crew the shell reached its target it hit the animal but not in the usual fashion it bounced off that rounded surface and vanished into the sea two miles out oh drat said the old gunner in his anger that rascal must be covered with six-inch armor plate curse the beast commander farragut shouted the hunt was on again and commander farragut leaned over to me saying i'll chase that animal till my frigate explodes yes i replied and nobody would blame you 
we could still hope that the animal would tire out and not be as insensitive to exhaustion as our steam engines but no such luck hour after hour went by without it showing the least sign of weariness however to the abraham lincoln's credit it must be said that we struggled on with tireless persistence i estimated that we covered a distance of at least five hundred kilometers during this ill-fated day of november the sixth but night fell and wrapped the surging ocean in its shadows by then i thought our expedition had come to an end that we would never see this fantastic animal again i was mistaken at ten fifty in the evening that electric light reappeared three miles to windward of the frigate just as clear and intense as the night before the narwhal seemed motionless it was asleep perhaps weary from its workday just riding with the waves this was our chance and commander farragut was determined to take full advantage of it he gave his orders the abraham lincoln stayed at half steam advancing cautiously so as not to awaken its adversary in mid-ocean it's not unusual to encounter whales so sound asleep they can successfully be attacked and ned land had harpooned more than one in its slumber the canadian went to resume his post on the bobstays under the bowsprit the frigate approached without making a sound stopped two cable lengths from the animal and coasted not a soul breathed on board a profound silence reigned over the deck we were not one hundred feet from the blazing core of light whose glow grew stronger and dazzled the eyes just then leaning over the forecastle railings i saw ned land below me one hand grasping the martingale the other brandishing his dreadful harpoon barely twenty feet separated him from the motionless animal all at once his arm shot forward and the harpoon was launched I heard the weapon collide resonantly as if it had hit some hard substance. The electric light suddenly went out, and two enormous waterspouts crashed onto the deck of the frigate, racing like a torrent from stem to stern, toppling crewmen, breaking spare masts and yard arms from their lashings. A hideous collision occurred, and thrown over the rail with no time to catch hold of it, I was hurled into the sea. End of chapter six.